Praise the Lord. I want you to uh, take your Bibles. I, I encourage you again to be a part of Gospel Night this week on Thursday night. Uh, I believe that's going to be a great, great time. I want to read a couple of uh, passages of Scripture, one from the book of Luke, chapter 22, and then uh, one from the book of Revelation, chapter number 12, verse 12, Luke 22 and 31, and then uh, Revelation uh, chapter 12 and verse 12. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, it says, these are the words of Jesus to Peter, right before Peter makes that claim that he would never deny the Lord. It says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I want you to know Jesus says that the Lord, uh, that, that the Lord said, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. In order for this to make sense, you uh, would have to look in the book of Job and understand that uh, at one time the sons of God came before the Lord and Satan showed up. And, uh, begin, and, and God began to talk about Job, and Satan asked for permission to bring trial into Job's life and to test him. And God allowed this to happen for a season. The Lord Jesus was saying to Peter, there's already been a meeting, and Satan said, I want you, I want you, Peter, I want Simon so that I can sift him as wheat. And then Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 12 the Word of God says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and, uh, the, and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath. That means he's really mad. Everybody understand that. The devil's coming down and he's really mad having great wrath. Because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Satan is really mad. And the reason he's mad is because he knows that his time is limited. And for a few moments this morning, I want to preach on this subject. The last hurrah. The last hurrah. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your power and presence and anointing, Lord, in this place. And we pray that you'd enable us in the next few moments to preach a word, Lord God, that will penetrate the hearts of individuals and bring hope, Lord God, to those, Jesus, who may be struggling, may be going through a little bit of a trial, may be having questions right now. I pray in Jesus' name that your word, Lord God, hallelujah, would be a comfort and a strength and direction and hope, Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord God, that your spirit would accompany the word today, Lord, to bring hope to individuals, Lord Jesus, to make it through every trial, Lord God to be, emerge victorious from every battle, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, <clears throat> amen. If you believe that Jesus is real, clap your hands right now. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. In the book of Genesis, chapter 37, we read a very, very interesting story. The context of the story is this. Jacob was a man who had many children. 
And he had many sons, but one of them was a favored son. We know him as Joseph. He was favored because he was the offspring of the wife of his love, Rachel. And uh, as a result of this, the brothers recognized this favor that was upon Joseph from his father, and they resented that, and they were quite jealous of it. So one time, Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers and to check on the flocks. And when Jacob was seen, I'm sorry, Joseph was seen in the distance by his brothers, those jealous brothers came up with a plan. The Bible says they conspired, a conspiracy. They said, let's handle this dreamer right now. They were so angry at him, they said, let's take this favored one and let's end this problem. Let's kill him and let's blame it on a wild beast. The older brother, Reuben, intervened and said, it wouldn't be good for us to touch him, so please, let's not touch him. Let's just throw him into a pit and leave him there. Of course, Reuben had a plan that he would come back and deliver his brother later and maybe teach him a little lesson, but definitely save his life. Reuben went away for a while while Joseph was in the pit, and suddenly a group, a caravan of Midianites came by, the brothers, who had assumed the plan was to leave the brother there to die, Joseph there to die, decided, what a waste. Why don't we sell him into slavery, and then we will receive something from him. This was the idea of Judah. He said, let's not kill him. Let's sell him instead. And so they stripped him of his coat of many colors, a very distinctive coat that his father had given him, which was a sign of the favor of the Father upon him. They took the coat and they tore it and ripped it. And they dipped it in the blood of a goat. And they came back to where their father was camped. Joseph now was on a caravan with the Midianites heading to Egypt in slavery. But and they showed up at their father Jacob's house. And they came to him and they said, We found this. And they dropped it at his feet. It was a bloody coat. It was Joseph's coat. The brothers said, you know, we don't know if it's Joseph's coat or not. But I wanted to bring it to you, this bloody coat. You have to remember that Jacob knew nothing of the story that I just told. He didn't know about the pit. and He didn't know about the Midianites. All he had was a piece of evidence, a bloody coat. When the bloody coat was dropped at his feet, the brothers didn't really tell a lie, but they were using manipulated evidence to deceive their father and let him come to his own conclusion. They never said, a wild animal has killed our brother. They just said, here's his coat. And guess what dad said? Jacob said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And of his sons and all his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Just a piece 
of evidence. And Jacob drew the conclusion that my son has been torn by wild beasts. My favored and beloved son, I will never see him again. What a painful and horrible death he must have suffered. I'm going to go to my grave in mourning. He just took a piece of evidence, came to a conclusion, and decided to live the rest of his life based on this assumption and conclusion. And for many, many years, Jacob lived with his head held low, a sad life shaped by the assumption that his son was dead. Amen. What is an assumption? An assumption is a conclusion made upon incomplete evidence. You've got some evidence, and so you make, you come to a conclusion. This is called an assumption. Many people live their lives and make decisions based on assumptions. They don't even know all the facts. They just have a little piece of evidence and they come to an assumption. And just like uh, Jacob did, they will live their lives based on these assumptions. Amen. And I read yesterday a, a, a saying, a phrase that said, Assumptions are the termites of relationships. Assumptions will destroy relationships when you take a piece of apparent evidence and come to a conclusion and allow it to affect how you will interact with a certain individual. It will affect your relationships. But I want to talk today about how Satan uses our human tendency to draw conclusions based on evidence and come to assumptions and he uses it against us. Because Satan's only real weapon against you is deception. Amen. The devil cannot overpower you. The devil can't make you do anything. The devil can't destroy you. The devil can't kill you. Because if he did, as soon as you came out of the waters of baptism speaking in tongues, you'd get about three words out and your life would be over because he'd wipe you out. But he doesn't have that power. He cannot do that. <clears throat> the only way that he can control you is through deception, through misleading pieces of evidence that you decide to draw conclusions with. He will present a piece of evidence uh, and, uh, and let you draw the conclusion. And when you draw the conclusion, then you live your life based on that. Uh, his deception has no power at all unless you choose to believe it. Then it's very powerful because it can shape your life. Can I get an amen? And I want to tell you that today, what may look like evidence of your impending defeat is not a sign that you're about to go down in a blaze of glory. But I believe the Word of God lets us know that the harder your trial gets and the more challenging and difficult your situation appears, it's a pretty good sign that the battle is almost over and the enemy is not going to win in the end. He's mad because he knows he has but a short time and the battle's about to be over. Can I get an amen? I'll give you an example of how people draw conclusions based on a piece of evidence. In 1859, there was a book written called The Origin of the Species. This was written by a man named Charles Darwin who had studied for years, studied for years the fossil records 
went to a place called the Galapagos Islands and found, uh, together with his other studies, the appearance of geological ages found uh, in the fossils of the rock that the earlier ages appeared to have less complex life forms. And as time went on, the life forms that were encapsulated in these fossils in the rock became more and more and more complex and uh, 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 complex body parts, so on and so forth. Similar, and plus, he, he studied the fact that animals had similar features, uh, body features and appearance. And uh, animals had been brought into certain classifications of phyla and genus. And he saw this apparent evidence was dropped at his feet. Uh, and he came up with this uh, theory called uh, the theory of evolution. Based on the evidence that he saw, he drew a conclusion and came to an assumption called the theory of natural selection, evolution, or gradualism. This idea that every creature on the planet, every living animal on the planet uh, was uh, from one common descendant, uh, from one single cell amoeba millions and millions of years ago uh, that started to then... uh, over time, reproduce and mutate. And through reproduction and mutation and survival of the fittest, those favorable mutations uh, were allowed to survive. And those less favorable or did not, that did not mutate uh, were <clears throat> taken away or extinct uh, from the animal kingdom. And before too long, here's the deal, the scientific community began to accept this theory as scientific Fact, And uh, if you're to walk into a high school biology class uh, or a college biology class, uh, you will uh, be presented the idea that this is a foregone conclusion, that there's no need to debate this any longer because it is an accepted fact uh, that, there, uh, uh, that animals uh, have evolved over the years from uh, simpler organisms uh, and, uh, and there is no need for a God in the equation. And the reality is uh, this theory of evolution is about uh, 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 proving the point or establishing the reality that the Bible can't be true and that there is no need for God. And many people believe that Darwin killed God and, and produced this great movement of secular atheism in the world. And if Darwin's theory is true, then there's no need for a creator. There's no need to believe or worship or be accountable to any God. And uh, many people in the world begin to live their lives released of the concept of responsibility to God or to the Bible. Take a piece of evidence. Come to a conclusion. Live your life based on this assumption. Here's the problem, though. Evolution... Even today in 2013 is still a theory, not a fact. The only way something that can go from a theory to a law is it has to be subject to the scientific method, which is a way of proving theories into law, which means it must be subject to experimentation. It must be observable and it must be repeatable. That's impossible with origins and with evolution. And so science are 
Scientists are then become forensic scientists that try to look at the previous record and come up with a case like a lawyer in a courtroom. But the fact is that today it is still just a theory. And in reality, when you really begin to look at the evidence, it becomes clear that this theory has many, many gaps and weaknesses. But the point I want to get across to you is the majority of the educated world accepts and believes this even without evidence. So guess what? They're putting faith in this theory. Faith in this theory. Is it okay if I talk about this for a little bit? Here's some of the major problems with this theory. Number one is the absence of transitional fossils. Let me explain that to you. They see the different fossil forms through the different ages of time, if you would. They do see something called microevolution, which is changes or adaptations within a particular animal group. Little change here, little change there. Sometimes this way, sometimes that way. And it's been proven, microevolution has been proven. That means adaptations within a species. But they have never found, see, if, if you can get the picture here, it all starts from one common ancestor. And then it branches into two. And then at a certain other node, it branches into another. And it branches, branches, branches until every animal comes from a certain node from common ancestors down to one. The problem is they found all of these fossils of various different animals, but they've never found fossils of the transitional animals between one to another. And this is a ridiculously compelling piece of evidence that they would have all of these fossils, but they would have no fossils of the transitional animals. Another problem is the absence of, of any legitimate origins theory. Well, we got a problem. There's no fossils to prove the transition forms. And number two, there's no really legitimate theory as to how it all began. This wasn't a problem during Darwin's day when he came up with the theory because back then people assumed that life could come from inanimate objects because back then they thought that maggots came from rotting meat, not realizing that the maggots came because flies came and laid eggs in the rotting meat. And then the maggots came. So they just assumed that. But then when they realized that life only comes from life, they're presented with another problem. How did this all start to begin with? In 1948, there was this great, great thing that happened that uh, helped them. And oh my goodness, we discovered now that an amino acid, which is the basic building block of life for a cell, can be created if you put certain gases together in the right quantities, and send an electric shock through that energy, through uh, those gases, and it can create an amino acid. And then everybody's like, well, there's our evidence that we need. Even though uh, for a while evolution had fallen out of favor, now we're back in favor again. And uh, so for a while that was, that was big news. But then as uh, microbiology began to develop and people began to understand genetics and DNA and all of that, they realized that creating an amino acid is the furthest thing from being able to create a single-cell organism, number one. And number two, they discovered that it would be impossible for those gases to be present on the earth in the ancient origin earth. They would never have been together. So number one, you don't have the gases. But number two, even if you were able to, even if a, a amino acid was be able to be created 
through an energy pulsing through gas, then you got the problem that the most basic single-cell or, uh, organism is an arrangement uh, of the four different types of amino acids in a very specific pattern to communicate information to the cell of how to act and react, live and survive. See, the more science evolves, the more it shows the handiwork of the creator and the fact that there's got to be a designer. Let me explain it to you this way. Genetic code is information, just like computer code. Computer code doesn't bounce out of nowhere. Computer code is created by a code writer. If I write you a letter, you don't assume, let's say I write a paragraph and just throw it in your lap. You don't assume that that, par that paragraph just came out of the ground or was just a combination of letters that fell together. Anytime there is something that communicates cogent information, there has to be a writer. You guys still with me? Amen. And so they say that these amino acids, how they communicate through uh, the DNA is like a letter written with communications and not just a, a single letter like R. I'm talking about a letter with words put together. And it would be like just throwing a bunch of letters onto a page and assuming it's able to communicate things. But the reality is, uh, as they look at it, they say, how do these things know to come together in, in patterns uh, that would uh, uh, present uh, communication and intellect uh, from to the cell of how to reproduce uh, and how to interact? And all of these things bring evidence to the fact that this theory is so far from being a fact. And there are many signs, particularly mathematicians, that say it is impossible for this to happen by chance. And they say it's absolutely impossible. Well, what is the other possibility? Is that every time there is something that is written, there is a writer. Every time there is information being communicated, there's somebody that put the information together. There is a God. And while many people are living their lives today based on the assumption that everything evolved from nothing and there's no responsibility to a living God, it is a false assumption based on a little bit of evidence dropped in front of you and they're living their lives according to it. But I want to tell you today that there is a God. He created all things. He created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. I could go on and on and on and on and on about this. From a single cell organism, how could a complex body part like an eye evolve from a single cell organism? Because an eye is on, only begins to work when it's completely formed. So it can't be a gradual forming of an eye. It would have to, in order for it to serve any evolutionary purpose, it would have to work upon first mutation. Here's another thing. Amen. I can just go on and on about this. How, how does a mutation create something that's more complex, more efficient, and works better? Think about this right now. Think about this. When you have computer code, which is basically like genetic code, all of these, the binary, zeros and ones, that is communicating what the computer to do. If you were to randomly change it, just like change a few things here and there, what are the chances of it improving the program? Zero. What will it do? It will cause the program to seize up. It will not work. This is how complex the human DNA is. That a mutation is going to create something better is folly. There is a creator. 
there is a designer. Amen. There's somebody behind all of this, and we know him as God, revealed in the flesh as Jesus Christ, the one who has a plan for this planet and a purpose for your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. But here's the deal. If you, if you can't prove it during the, using the scientific method, how did they prove it? Using the democratic method. What does that mean? If we get enough intelligent, educated people to believe this, once we get the majority, then it's established as a law. Amen. So then it must be true and you're foolish to believe anything else. Let me tell you that Satan is an excellent deceiver. He is a manipulator of the evidence. Amen. He will drop a bloody coat in front of you and allow you to draw the conclusions. Amen. But in Revelation 12, 12, I want to read it to you again. It says, therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. If you believe in the heavenly kingdom, you ought to be excited. You know why? Because the devil is come down unto you having great wrath. He is furious. He is mad because he knows that he has but a short time. Here's the problem. We don't know what our future is, but Satan knows what his future is. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but Satan has a pretty good idea about what tomorrow holds. That's why somebody said one time, if the devil comes reminding you of your past, turn around and remind him of his future. He's mad because he knows he only has a limited time to wreak havoc on the earth. He has only a short time. Here's what I want you to understand today is that the devil's wrath is in proportion to his knowledge about the shortness of his time. That's what the Bible says. When he knows how short his time is, he gets more furious. The shorter his time, the madder the devil gets, the shorter his time is. The devil understands his future and pours out his wrath Accordingly. Now I want to tell you that there is clear evidence in Scripture that when you are a believer, Satan can only tempt, test, and try you with permission from God. This is very, very interesting to discover. You look at the story of Job. Let me read a little bit to that, of that to you right now. In Job chapter 1 and verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him? And about his house, amen. How many are glad for the fence that God's put about you, amen. And about all that he hath on every side, thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Verse 11, but put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of 
the Lord. Satan had to ask permission to tempt and try Job. So the story goes like this. God gives permission, establishes the parameters of the test, and then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose in Job's life. Anybody read the story before? Loses his animals, loses his house, loses his children. Sickness and disease comes into his family. It is a terrible, unbelievable trial in his life. But I want you to notice from the story that as the trial progresses, it gets worse. And it's about the worst at the end. Because the purpose of Satan was to cause Job to lose his confidence and his faith in God. And to curse God and die. And to charge God foolishly. But through the entire test, amen, I want you to recognize that even though the test was withering, it did not last forever. And eventually the storm was over. And eventually the blessings returned to his life. And everything that he lost was given back to him twofold. Amen. I want to remind you, amen, that after the storm, the blessing is coming. After the storm, there will be calm. After the trial, God's favor will be restored. Amen. Jesus said to Peter that Satan hath desired you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that in this process that your faith fail not. In other words, we can infer from this statement that Satan was given permission to sift Peter like wheat. And while Satan's goal was to try to destroy the faith of Peter, God says, I can use this passionate destroyer of faith to fulfill my purpose in Peter's life as well. What is this sifting of wheat? Let me, let me explain it to you. Whenever there is a harvest, whenever the wheat is brought in from the harvest, whenever there is a harvest, there is a process that transpires. There is, first of all, the threshing on the threshing floor that separates the wheat from the chaff, the corn from the chaff. It's rough. It's a little bit abusive. It's about oxen and carts being driven over this hardened concrete area to separate or break apart the wheat from the chaff. This is a corporate thing that happens. And then the second thing that takes place is once you have this brokenness gone is something called winnowing. The winnowing is when a fan is taken. And you see those old fans that you squeeze them like an accordion. It blows out. What does the fan do? Uh, in in, in uh, the book of Mark and in the book of Luke, Jesus, uh, uh, John the Baptist said of Jesus, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly separate the wheat from the chaff. And in this process, that's a corporate process, uh, the wheat will stay in the cracks of the threshing floor and the chaff will blow away. And I'm sure perhaps it's depressing for the man that's brought in the harvest and it looks so big. And then the process of the threshing takes place and then the winnowing or the fan blows and the big harvest becomes seemingly smaller because the chaff is blowing away 
with the wind. See, the Bible lets us know that whenever there is a harvest, there's also going to be a threshing, and there's also going to be a winnowing. It happens every time. Amen. And uh, I heard a preacher, a pastor, uh, um, uh, preach one time. One of the most discouraging parts about the harvest is that many people come in and then the winnowing starts and the chaff begins to blow away and it's depressing because you want to chase after it because the mound of the harvest looks a little smaller now because what's left now is wheat and the chaff is blown away. There's always going to be chaff. There's always going to be those that are flaky and blown about, the Bible says, by every wind of doctrine. But the fruit will remain and the wheat will remain in the cracks of the threshing floor. The wind is going to blow. The Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And it's the wheat that remains. This is a corporate thing. This happens to a, a church body. This happens to uh, the conglomerate church. Uh, the times of, uh, of harvest followed by the times of, of, of a winnowing and threshing. But then secondly, once it's just wheat, or it appears to be just wheat because the chaff is gone, the chaff is gone, but now there is still left some fragments from the earth, dirt, rubble, stones that are mixed in with the wheat. So the second part of this process is called sifting. The sifting is more of an individual thing. The winnowing, you see it on a corporate scale. The sifting is when God has, when, when you have stood the test of the wind, your wheat. But now God says, I want you to be perfected. I want you to be prepared. So there is a process that's called sifting. And what happens with sifting? It's like, it's like a, a sieve that they pour all of the wheat into. And then they begin to shake it. Shake it. Shake it. And during the shaking, the pieces of the wheat begin to fall through the little holes in the sieve. Shaking. Shaking. Then at the bottom of the sieve, here underneath the sieve, is the purified wheat. Amen. It's the purified harvest. And in this process of the sifting, amen, when it's completed, all that's left in the sieve is the pieces of the earth that wasn't supposed to be a part of the wheat. The rubble and the stones and the dirt from the harvest is left in the sieve. God's got to take some things out of you to prepare you for his purpose and his work on the earth. It's called the sifting. Amen. This sifting is disruptive. This sifting makes you dizzy. <laughs> this sifting makes you wonder what in the world is going on. This sifting brings frustration into your life. This sifting makes you doubt your uh, co uh, uh, commitments and your convictions and your belief in God. That's what the sifting, because the sifting can't bring out the filth unless it's a process of shaking. Amen. Hallelujah. And so the Bible, the Word of God lets us know that God wants to sift Peter as wheat. It was a, a contract job that was turned over to the devil. But you got to listen to me right now. This contract was not an open-ended contract. In other words, it was for a period of time. And that period of time was only going to last for a while. And the devil knew that he only had a while to try to destroy the faith of this person that was going through the process of this. Oh, come on, somebody. Woo! 
Job said, God, put your hand, or, or the devil said, put your hand on Job and, and he'll curse you. God said, I'm not going to uh, wreak havoc in his life, but I'll give you a dispensation where you can. <laughs> but it's just a period of time. It's not for now and forever, but it's just a period of time. And so the devil knows I only got a little bit of time. And the shorter his time gets, the more aggressive the trial becomes. Come on, someone. The shorter his time gets, the more crazy things get. Amen. Because he's furious. Because he knows that he has but a short time. That's why somebody in this place needs to rejoice today. Because what the devil has dropped at your feet as evidence that your life's about to fall apart and you're about to give up and you're about to quit is the best piece of evidence that the battle is almost over, that the trial is almost at the end, that God's purpose is being fulfilled in your life. Somebody praise him right now. Come on, please praise him right now. He's worthy of praise. Woo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Notice this. The Bible says the fan is in God's hands. God's going to blow away the chaff. But when it comes to the sifting process, he turns it over to the enemy. The enemy says, I'm going to take this chance to destroy them. Amen. I'm going to take this chance to regain dominion over this person. But the same process designed to destroy you is the process that refines you. Think it not strange when the fiery trial comes. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You started living for God and all hell broke loose in your life. You decided to live for God, made a commitment, repented, walked down to an altar, got baptized in Jesus' name, and instead of getting better, things got worse. You know why they got worse? Because Satan got his walking papers. He had had influence and control in your life for so long, you had no interest in the things of God. You didn't want to go to church. You didn't want to read the Bible. You had no desire to pray. But somebody invited you out to the house of the Lord. And when you got there, amen, you brought the influencer of your soul in with you. He had to sit through that church service. And when you made that step of faith, isn't it interesting that the devil cannot stop you from making a decision and walking an aisle and lifting up your hands and calling Lord Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But what he does, he knows, amen, that when you make a decision, that his time is short and he gets furious. Hallelujah. But somebody needs to rejoice right now. <laughs> Because the devil has but a short time. I know he's mad. I know the trial seems withering. I know it seems like I'm going crazy, but he has a short time. Woo, come on, somebody praise him. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. sifting is done. The wheat is separated from the rubble, the dirt, and the trash. God's purpose is unfolded. How does the trial show up in a person's life? Shows up in different ways. Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes depression. When it doesn't seem natural, you can tell there's something behind it. Sometimes it's just problem after problem after problem. 
problems in your family, problems in your marriage, problems with your kids. Sometimes it's financial issues that seem to get worse and worse and worse. But I want to tell you, it gets worse and worse and worse. Because the devil's getting madder and madder and madder. Because <laughs> he knows he has but a short time. Amen. Brother Francisco and, and, and Sister Iris, Brother Francisco was fairly new. He's a spirit-filled, uh, uh, water-baptized believer. And, uh, uh, and they got married, and, and they went through some tough times financially. They went through, through some terrible times financially. And I'm wondering, I'm like, God, what in the world? Why don't you make a way? Why don't you open a door? Amen. A lot of you don't know, they, they went a long time without hot water in their house. Just difficult situation after difficult situation. And I said, God, what are you doing in their life? But what I didn't realize is maybe the enemy was turned loose in their life to fulfill a purpose. But the good news is, Brother Francisco, can you rejoice with me right now? Because it did not last forever. Some of you wonder why you're going through what you're going through right now. I can't give you the answer. God knows all things. But I do know this, that it's not going to last forever. And if it seems like it's getting worse, if it seems like it's more oppressive, be encouraged because the devil's mad because he knows his time is up. And what you're going through right now may be the last hurrah. What is the last hurrah? The last two raw is that final effort, that final performance, that final effort to do what you were going to do before you either die or quit or get kicked off the team. And what you're going through right now may be the devil's last hurrah. He's really furious. He's furious about the changes that you're making. He's furious about God's purpose being unfolded in your life. And he knows that when his time comes to an end, if you're still holding on, God's purpose has been completed. So he says, I only got a little bit of time now. I got to make it more crazy. I've got to make it more aggressive. I'm getting madder and madder. And the madder he gets, it's in proportion to how short his time is. Somebody shout unto God right now because you know that God's got a purpose in what you're going through. And you know that God's going to bring glory out of what you're going through. And you know the worse it gets, the closer my redemption comes. Hallelujah. 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 All the evidence says, all the evidence says this sickness is going to take you out. All the evidence says this depression's not leaving. All the evidence says this problem's going to get worse and worse and worse until it destroys you. All the evidence says you're going into bankruptcy. All the evidence says you're going to be homeless and living on this corner of the street. All the evidence says you're going to fall prey to the temptation because sometimes the trial comes in form of an overwhelming temptation about something that you've been delivered from and it just seems unnatural and you seem to have no help and no power and you're just fighting the battle on your own and you're like, where is God? I'm talking about the real stuff right now. I'm talking about real trials when God seems missing and you can't break through and you can't feel his presence and you can't have an encounter with him like you used to. I'm talking about the real trials right now that come into our lives, but you need to understand.
that you may be as frustrated as I'll get out and you may feel like God is a million miles away. This is all a part of this thing called the sifting and the trial. But I want to tell you that the worst that it gets is a sign that it's about to change. And I know some people who've experienced victory and deliverance in this house that knows that when the devil's done, amen, what seemed like it was going to destroy you is all of a sudden in the past and just a story in your history that you can tell others about, amen, what God did for you, what you're facing right now, amen, the devil's using it to try to destroy you, but it's becoming a part of a testimony of somebody that fought the battle, somebody that won the war, somebody that came through on the other side with their faith intact. I wonder if there's some people of faith in this house that can believe God despite the evidence, despite everything in their path, saying God's not concerned, God doesn't care, he does. Mark 9, verse 20. There was a demon-possessed boy. A demon-possessed boy who the Bible says that he would often throw himself into the fire. Seek to throw himself into the fire. Lose control. Just go into convulsions. And the Bible says when they saw Jesus coming in the distance, that he dropped to the ground and began to wallow about, foaming. Having no doubt one of the worst fits that he had ever had. Bible says that Jesus got closer, it got worse. You know why? The devil knew that he had but a short time. And when the devil goes crazy, it's evidence and a sign when things get worse and the little dispensation of influence he has in your life, he seems to shake you around like a rag doll, mess with your family, blow up your situation. I want you to put trust in God because the old people in this church that you see with gray hairs uh, that have been serving God for years uh, have this testimony. And the testimony is the trial won't last always. Uh, The storm's not going to go on forever. It'll get worse and worse and worse. Uh, But right when it seems like it's uh, overpowering and beyond your control, there's going to be a breakthrough. It gets darkest right before the sun begins to peak. It gets the most challenging right before God shows up and says, They've suffered long enough. Your contract is up. Get out of their life. I'm putting blessing into their life. Somebody say, here comes the favor of God. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen, amen. Praise God. The hold that the devil's had on your finances, it's about to end. This little trial is the last hurrah. Do you believe that? God's doing something in me through this, but but this is going to end. The hold that he's had on my family is about to end. Oh, the evidence says it's getting worse and worse. The evidence said this is irreparable. The evidence said this is going to be blown to pieces. That's the bloody coat. That's a manipulated piece of evidence by the enemy to try to convince you, amen, that you're going down, amen. The devil's anger is not a sign that he believes he's going to defeat you. The devil's anger is a sign that he knows that his time is short and his opportunity to wreak havoc is finished in your life, amen. Praise God. Anybody believe that with me right now?
Come on, lift up your hands right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to talk to someone. I want to talk to someone right now that you've had experienced confusion in your life. You've experienced confusion because of what you prayed for, what didn't happen, the way things seem to be unfolding in a different way than you anticipated that they would unfold. And the devil is trying to cause you to draw a conclusion that will make you make decisions based on that conclusion that's going to take you out of the presence of the Lord, take you out of the power of God, and take you on a journey to nowhere. Amen. But I want to let you know right now that the power of the Holy Ghost can clear up everything in a moment in His presence. Can I talk to somebody else who, you, you, you don't know why you can't get the breakthrough. You just feel discouraged. You can't even put your finger on what it is. You feel defeated. And, and you're, you're, you're still like plugging away. You know, you're just like, okay, I'm going to keep plugging away. But I just feel like I'm, I'm beating the air. I feel like I'm wasting my time. I feel discouraged. And you have to medicate that discouragement by being on caffeine all the time. Some people even fall into the trap of alcoholism because of these types of things. Trying to medicate this thing. And it's a battle. It's a war. You can't put your finger on where it's coming from. I'll tell you where it's coming from. It's coming from the enemy. But I also want to tell you that it's not something you're going to live with the rest of your life. It's not a battle you're going to have to fight till Jesus comes. Oh, praise God. It's not something that's going to be endlessly pressed upon you to the breaking point. But it's a short time issue. The devil's singing the short time blues. Amen. Because he knows he has but a short time. And in a moment, things can shift. Come on, somebody. In a moment, the walls of Jericho, impregnable, impossible, ain't no way that's happening. And what are we doing marching around these walls? We need to get a pickaxe and start picking at them. Even though they're going to throw stones and shoot arrows at us, if we're going to get through these walls, we've got to do what we can do. The Lord says, no, trust me and do what I said. Do what I said. But they're standing on the edge making fun of us. Do what I said. They're standing up there uh, uh, telling us that we're foolish putting our trust in an invisible God. doesn't matter. Just do what I said. Because in a moment, hey, praise God, in a moment, the walls of impossibility, the walls of unlikeliness can fall down in a moment. And I'm encouraged somebody to keep the faith. Uh, I'm encouraged somebody to keep your jaw clenched. Uh, I'm encouraged somebody here to begin to act in joy. When you see the devil start acting, see, it takes great faith to do that. It's easy to believe God when things are good. Amen? We, we shared a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, there's three types of faith. The Bible says little faith, normal faith, and great faith. Three levels. What is little faith? Little faith is <clears throat> the way that Jesus describes people that are always fearful, always wondering, well, where's my next meal going to come from? Always stressed out, where am I going to get my clothes? Always worrying and fearful. And Jesus said, why is your faith so little. Well, what's normal faith? Normal faith is when people believe, and while they're believing, the miracle happens. The Lord says, according to your faith, be it unto you. They get their miracle. 
What's great faith? Great faith, there's only two times in the Bible where Jesus tells someone that they have great faith. The first one is the Greek Syrophoenician woman with a devil-possessed son, or daughter, I'm sorry. And, and the second one is uh, uh, the Greek centurion that came to Jesus and said, uh, my uh, uh, servant is grievously vexed. They both came. Here's the deal. These two people came to Jesus without their subject. The Greek centurion came and asked for a miracle, but he didn't have the boy with him that needed a miracle. The Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus. Neither one of them were Jews. This is also cool. The Greek Syrophoenician uh, uh, woman came to Jesus and said, My daughter has a horrible devil. and She needs delivered. But she didn't bring the daughter with her. Why is that significant? Because if they had brought the person with them, they would only need enough faith to be commiserate with the evidence that they saw with their eyes. And when they saw God, Jesus do the miracle, they had faith to believe for what they could see. But these two had what Jesus called great faith, which means, Jesus, if you speak the word, I believe it's done, even if I don't see the evidence. The whole time, Jacob's walking in mourning. The whole time, his head is held low. The whole time, he's depressed and whining and moaning and laying in his bed. Won't get up, face the day. The whole time, the dream is still alive. Joseph's still alive. Oh, but he's been torn apart by animals on a harsh, terrible death, right? The dream is still alive. Joseph's still alive. Eventually, it's going to be revealed. Don't let the trial convince you that it's the end, convince you that God's finished, convince you that God doesn't care, but realize the enemy's wrath is evidence that it's almost over. And I'm getting ready to walk into my victory. I want you to stand up and come forward right now. Praise God. Let's gather around the front here as a church family for a moment. We're going to rejoice in the Lord for a little bit right now. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, Hallelujah. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Squeeze up to the front here. If you're a guest and a friend with us, we're glad to have you. And we want you to pray with us right now because God's going to move in this place because there's a lot of faith here right now. Our biggest problems as human beings is we, we try to be legal experts and interpret the evidence that's in our life. Let the enemy convince us that it's bad and it's getting worse. We become depressed and discouraged and our faith begins to get lower and lower and lower. And then we almost take that step, that fateful step of walking away from what God wants to do in our life. But I'm so thankful that today the Lord has allowed us to look behind the veil for a moment get a revelation of what it means when the devil gets crazy. 
things get crazy in the marriage. Things get crazy with the kids. Or when I'm going through this personal crisis and issues in my life and I'm struggling. No. It's not because you're about to go down. It's because the enemy understands he's not wrong. Giving an opportunity is finished. And I want you to lift up your hands right now all across this place. I want you to lift up your voice to the Lord right now. I want you to talk to him in faith. Jesus, I believe the word of God right now. I am thankful, Lord God, in faith I confess that this battle that I'm going through right now is not going to destroy me. It's not going to take me out. It's not going to defeat me. But God, you're doing something in me. And I know that the devil's time is short. And I know that your blessing and your favor is coming right now. I'm going to speak right now because something needs to lift off of some of you. You've been carrying something longer than you need to. And I pray in the name of Jesus uh, that that spirit of heaviness uh, would come off of somebody right now. That their faith would be restored. That you would restore to them the joy of their salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, here's what we're going to do. The Bible says put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Somebody's got a spirit of heaviness because of what you've been going through and what you've been struggling with. The Holy Ghost says right now you need to put on a garment. And when you put on this garment, it's going to uh, evict the spirit of heaviness. The garment is the garment of praise. I'm talking about praise that erupts out of your spirit. I'm talking about praise that you don't try to contain anymore. I'm talking about praise that you let take over. Something's getting ready to drop in this place. There's a bomb about ready to fall in this place. Listen to me right now. There's a barrier somebody needs to break through right now, which is going beyond praise in the flesh into a spirit praise. What does that mean? Praise in the flesh is very controlled. Praise in the flesh is is where my mind is cogent and I understand what I'm doing. And I'm speaking words of praise and worship to God. It's important. It's very good. It's how we get into the presence of the Lord. But some of us only go so far and then we stop. But the garment of praise is not just uh, restricted to what I do with my mind and my body and my flesh. But the garment of praise is when you forget about what anybody thinks about you and you forget about the trial that you're in and for a moment you just begin to praise God and let His Spirit begin to flow through you like a river. So I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to put something on, to try on something you haven't tried on for a long time. The garment of praise, not just the functional praise that we do when they're leading us in worship, but praise that just erupts out of our spirit. And I'm telling you somebody right now that if you'll get beyond that point and break into the spirit in your praise right now, that the spirit of heaviness is going to leave you right now. Here we go. Let's let it go. Shut it Come on, I'm talking about let the, let the tongue go. Let the Holy Spirit flow out of you. Let your voice be lifted. Let the tears go. Hashatayarabah. 
There goes the spirit of heaviness. Hallelujah. Out of your life, out of your mind, out of your spirit. Come on. Can you praise him even though the evidence says hold your peace? Can you praise him even though the evidence says you got nothing to shout about? Can you praise him because you know he's a great God. He's able and he's worthy. Get thee behind. 
of Jesus and all he has done for me will my soul cries out hallelujah praise God 
praise him one more time. Hallelujah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Come on, somebody. control despite all the evidence I know he's got my best interest at heart despite all the evidence I'm coming out victorious I'm coming out gold I'm coming out transformed Let's praise the Lord together one more song. This one's an old song we used to sing. It says, if you're not afraid, right, to praise the Lord, let me see you clap your hands. If you're not ashamed to praise. Amen. We got somebody that needs to be baptized in Jesus' name right now. That's what happens. There's a breakthrough taking place. Amen. If you're not afraid to praise the Lord, let me see you clap your hands. See you stomp your feet. Came to praise the Lord. Let me see you wave your hands. If you're not ashamed to praise the Lord, let me see you leap for joy. Clap your hands, stomp your feet, wave your hands, leap for joy. Clap your hands, stomp your feet, wave your hands, leap for joy. One more time.
change. Praise the Lord. Let me see you stomp your feet. If you're not ashamed. Praise the Lord. Let me see you wave your hands. If you're not ashamed. Praise the Lord. Let me see you leap for joy. Clap your hands. Stomp your feet. Wave your hands. Leap for joy. Come on and clap your hands. Stomp your feet. Praise go for a minute right now. You know why I'm doing this? Because this is when miracles happen. This is when tumors disappear. This is the kind of time, come on, when your headache goes away. This is the kind of time where God touches your womb and you can have a baby. Come on, somebody. This is when it happens. He's, he's egging me on. Anybody feel revival spirit? Here's another one. I, I gotta praise and I gotta put it on. I gotta praise. I, I gotta praise. I gotta praise and I gotta put it on. I gotta praise. Praise him. 
Hallelujah. I feel good, anybody? You know what makes the devil really, really mad? When his attack gets more aggressive and your praise gets more aggressive at the same time. Amen. Human beings, sometimes we, we, we just do our, 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 our great praise and our excessive praise and our exciting praise when things are going good. And that, I mean, that's great, but it, it's really kind of expected. But what makes the devil really mad and confounds him is when right in the middle of the difficulty, right in the middle of the trial, right in the middle of the hard times, when you're like, I'm not going to let these circumstances determine my praise. I'm not, I'm not going to jump to conclusions because of this evidence and assume that everything's going down. But I'm going to say the devil's mad. Man, I'm joyful because the devil's mad because his time is short. And while the short time of the enemy may make earthly people angry, it makes heavenly people rejoice. We know it's short time. God bless you. We're, we're going to have in just a few minutes a water baptism in Jesus' name. And we're so excited about what God's doing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. I want to I remind you before we leave here today, uh, I want to remind you, number one, is we could use as much help, especially from you guys doing the teardown today, get it done quick and get out of here so we can go eat. And uh, that number one. And um, number two, uh, remind you of the uh, gospel night at Pamela Park. And also something very important associated with that is the class that you're doing, the uh, Life Habits class on Thursday nights. It will not be happening this week at the classroom on Thursday. We'll all be going to Pamela Park, but we don't want you to miss this lesson. So next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock here at Life Church, they're going to be teaching that third lesson. So I want to encourage you, number one, to be at Pamela Park on Thursday. And number two, be here early at 10 o'clock Sunday to be a part of the Life Habits class. How many believe God's doing miracles right now? I just feel like speaking a word of faith to you right now. God's working on your behalf. The storm's not going to last forever, and God's going to bring a miracle in your life. Do you receive it right now? In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. I want to encourage if you're a guest with us today, please see me. Come see us at the uh, pastor's reception. And secondly, there's going to be a water baptism that happens right outside here in about five minutes. And it's an exciting one. You're going to want to be a part of that. So I encourage you, if you want to, to come see that as well. God bless you.